You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and TJ. Can you dig that, baby? <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. With me for this ride, as always, is TJ. Oh, hey. I don't know why I went into like the 1980s radio DJ. Well, I also then. don't know why I always do like super girly, like, oh, hey. Oh, hey. And I'm like, bye. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. So we've had this episode on the books. Since, since we started. Since day before day one, we've yeah. been talking about doing this. But we had several musicians that passed, and then we had to kind of do do some yeah. of the episodes. And so, Tracy, who are we talking about today? We are finally talking about River Phoenix. River Phoenix! woo Yeah, so we're finally doing River Phoenix, which is crazy because at first when you... Because, like, I remember... Day one, when we sat down to record Roy, we were already had our first people picked, and then we were picking the next round afterwards. When you suggested that I do him, I was shocked because I didn't really realize that he was a musician. And I have a feeling that there's quite a few of you out there that also don't didn't realize that he was a musician. But he was. Also, may I say that... Typically, I do a Spotify playlist for the artists that we have that we cover on the show, but there's so few River songs on Spotify that I'm going to have to figure out some kind of compromise. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how you're going to do a playlist on him because as you'll find out, like nothing was really released. There's... A couple now, finally, but nothing was ever really officially released. You know, so everybody knows him for his acting career and his infamous death in front of the Viper Room. But here we go. We're going to flush out the story. So River Phoenix was an American actor, musician, and activist. He was born on August 23rd, 1970 as River Jude Bottom in a log cabin in Madras, Oregon. He was the eldest son, like you would know, like his sister Rain and, of course, his brother Joaquin, originally Leaf. So his mother was Arlen Nade Dunetz and father was John Lee Bottom. Uh, Phoenix parents named him after the River of Life from the Herman Hess novel Siddhartha. And he received his middle name from the Beatles song Hey Jude in an interview with People magazine. Uh, Phoenix described his parents as hippie-ish. His mother was born in the Bronx, New York, and his father was from Fontana, California. And in 1968, Phoenix's mother left her family in New York City and traveled across the United States. And while hitchhiking in Northern California, she met John Lee Bottom. And they married on September 13th, 1969, less than a year after meeting. That's sweet, though. So it's kind of cute. Like, they met because she was hitchhiking. <laughs> See, it's it's funny it's cute. looking back at it now because we're like, you know, they were so in love. You know, they, they knew they wanted to be together from the moment that they met. Like, they only knew each other for less than a year before they got married. Now we're like, well, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people still do it now, but it seems more short-sighted at this point in time. 
so along that hippie vein, uh, in 1973, when River was just three years old, the family joined a controversial Christian new religious movement, read cult, <laughs> called the Children of God, as missionaries and fruit gatherers in Caracas, Venezuela. Rose McGowan was in that. Yeah, she was. I, I, I realized that uh, as I was researching, some uh, fun fact came up somewhere that she was also raised in the children of God. Is that what we would call a fun fact? <laughs> Not really, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> some rando trivia. Although Phoenix rarely talked about the cult, he was quoted by Arlen, his mother, uh, remember, in a 1994 Esquire article as having said, they're disgusting, they're ruining people's lives. According to Vanity Fair magazine, Phoenix was raped at the age of four. Jesus. In the cult, yeah. Uh, in an interview with Details magazine in 1991, Phoenix stated he lost his virginity at the age of four while in the Children of God, quote, but I've blocked it out. Which, go figure. You're only four. You're barely starting to make memories at that point, And that's, like, one of the first things you experience. Like, that's just horrible. So, even though... Like, John Rivers' dad, like, basically, they're really embedded into the cult there. He, his dad is, like, kind of the archbishop or whatever in Venezuela. It's kind of crazy. Arlen and John eventually grew disillusioned with the children of God. Uh, Arlen would later tell a journalist that she and her husband, that she and her husband were opposed to the group's practice of uh, what's called flirty fishing, stating the group was being distorted by the leader, David Berg, who was getting powerful and wealthy. He sought to attract rich disciples through sex. No way. Even though it's been known under several names, the cult is still operating currently as the Family International, shortened from the last name, which was the Family of Love. So it was like Children of God, Family of Love, and now it's the Family International. Trying to rebrand. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Because they got some bad press. At this point, they're still going by the the last name of Bottom. But in the late 70s, Rivers' family moves from Venezuela away from the cult. They move in with Arlen's parents in Micanopy. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Micanopy, Florida. This is not the pronunciation podcast, as LD loves to say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so they moved to my canopy, Florida, small suburb of Gainesville. The family officially changes their name at this point to Phoenix after, of course, the mythical bird that rises from its own ashes, symbolizing a new beginning. I love that. I love yeah. that. So again, you know, a little hippie-ish, but great, you know, great. Everybody loves some good symbolism. So the newly named Phoenix family, they lived in poverty, which uh, River referred to as a desperate situation. And Phoenix River never attended formal school, like ever. Screenwriter Naomi Foner later commented, he was totally, totally without education. I mean, he could read and write and he had an appetite for it, but he had no deep roots into any kind of sense of history or literature. And filmmaker George Sluizer, I really got myself this time i'm usually pretty good with names and stuff but this is not going great filmmaker george sluzer claimed that river was dyslexic the family was loving and close but john phoenix's father was complicated river reportedly saw him more as a little brother than as a paternal figure john had problems with alcohol and from an extremely young age phoenix felt as if he not his father had to support the family throughout his film career like there's a lot of articles out there right now that like to 
try to draw comparisons and draw all this in of like, oh, well, River always played the son in these damaged families. And so that's like he's drawing on all these things. And I mean, that's wild speculation. There may be some truth there, but I'm really not going to comment towards any of that other than that little bit. So as I mentioned, he's feeling like he kind of needs to support the family. And um, so Phoenix had a love of music from an early age and really wanted to start kind of a band. So between wanting to support the family and his musical aspirations, Phoenix would often play guitar while he and his sister sang on the street corners in the Westwood district of L.A. for money and food to support their ever-growing family. It's at this point that talent agent Iris Burton spotted River Joaquin and their sisters Summer and Rain singing for change and was so charmed by the family that she soon represented all four siblings. Oh, wow. There was some discrepancy here because this was taken from a Wikipedia page, but there was another article that I read where Arlen had mentioned that she took the kids in to a casting agency. And so I'm not really sure which one, which way it really went, but you can decide for yourself. <laughs> I personally like the, I, they got discovered on the street corner. I like that story too. Yeah. Let's stick with that being the real story. Yeah. I'm gonna... So that's where we're going from here on. I'm, I'm assuming that's, factual so we're gonna move on from there river started doing commercials for mitsubishi ocean spray and Saks fifth avenue and soon afterward he and the other children were signed by casting director penny marshall from paramount pictures river and rain were assigned immediately to a show called real kids as warm-up performers for the audience Aww. how cute is that <laughs> because they're they're young at this point i mean they're he's like nine or ten at this point they're babies and his life is not that long. Oh, no. He only, he died when he was only 23. So in 1980, Phoenix began to fully pursue his work as an actor, making his first appearance on a TV show called Fantasy, singing with his sister, Rain. In 1982, River was cast in the short-lived CBS television series Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, in which he starred as the youngest brother, Guthrie McFadden. River arrived at the auditions with his guitar and promptly burst into a convincing Elvis Presley impersonation, <laughs> charming the show producer <laughs> into getting the part, basically. <laughs> That's adorable. And by this age, uh, Phoenix was also an accomplished tap dancer, of all things. I could see that, though. Yeah. I mean, not to keep going back to the cult, the cults are really into, like, the performing arts. Oh, yeah. In 1984, Phoenix found a new role in the television movie Celebrity, where he played the part of young Jeffy Crawford. Although he was only on screen for about 10 minutes, his character was central. I love how these some of these things get written, because I am reading, obviously, from a paper <laughs> that I pulled from other resources but sometimes and that's why you know so how funny. like you know how you yell copy and paste that's right something that happens to me sometimes yeah less than a month after celebrity rivers starred in the abc after school special backwards the riddle of dyslexia <laughs> <laughs> i love these after school specials oh like do you remember god, these yes, from the I late do. 80s and the early 90s yes. oh my god uh, oh, they're like, you know what? It was the people that grew up watching after school specials, I think, that make Lifetime movies now. Probably. I mean, yeah. 
I could see that because I watched all these after school specials and I still kind of like these lifetime movies <laughs> just for the cheese factor alone. Like yeah. Hallmark Christmas movies are my jam. So Joaquin starred in a small role alongside his brother in this after school special. River was then cast in the pilot episode of the short lived TV series It's Your Move and also starred as Robert Kennedy Jr. in the TV movie Robert Kennedy and His Times. After his role in Dyslexia was critically acclaimed, Phoenix was almost immediately cast as a major role in the in his next made-for-TV movie, Surviving a Family in Crisis. Dun-dun-dun. dun <laughs> You have to love these freaking made-for-TV movie names. Like, they're just funny. I can't help it. In Surviving a Family in Crisis, he starred as Philip Brogan alongside Molly Ringwald and Heather O'Rourke. So some oh, other Heather O'Rourke. I'm not. I'm, who, I'm not sure. I know who she. She is. was a little girl on Poltergeist. Oh yeah. And then she actually, I think she died of toxic shock. You know what? And she was like 11 when she died. Oh, sad. Yeah, I mean it was really sad. Halfway through the filming of Surviving, his agent Iris Burton contacted him about a possible role in the film Explorers. In October 1984, Phoenix secured the role of geeky boy scientist Wolfgang Mueller in the large-budget science fiction film alongside Ethan Hawke. Released in the summer of 1985, this was Phoenix's first major motion picture role. In October of 1986, Phoenix co-starred alongside Tuesday Weld and Geraldine Fitzgerald in the acclaimed television movie Circle of Violence, a family drama, which told a story of domestic elder abuse. Oh, is that the first time you're reading that sentence? No, but I forgot. I blocked it out, I think. I forgot. This was Phoenix's last television role before achieving film stardom. Yay. I think I know what's coming up. Oh, yeah? Yes. Are you excited? I am. <laughs> In 1986, at the age of 15, Phoenix had a significant role in the popular coming-of-age film Stand, Stand By, by Me, Me. <laughs> which made him a household name. God, he was so hot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like butter. He Just. was 15, dude. I was also like... Oh, fair enough. You were also 15. Mm, well, no, no, not quite. No. You were I mean, young. I think I was younger. I hang on. Yeah, because he was born in he 70. Was, yeah, he's nine years older than me. So I was like... So you're four. Yeah, still hot. <laughs> wow. So about the film, the Washington Post opined, so their opinion, <laughs> that Phoenix gave the film its center of gravity. Center spe spelt all British and shit. With an E? Mm-hmm. Well... In the at the end instead of in the middle. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. like they spell color with a U. With a U, yeah, and use the metric system and stones, stones, stones. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know why we're upset at stones, go back and listen to the second to part Karen. of Karen Carpenter episode. <laughs> yeah. So about his character in the film. River commented, the truth is I identified so much with the role of Chris Chambers that if I hadn't had my family to go back to after the shoot, I'd have probably had to see a psychiatrist. Also being aware enough to know that the stability of your family life is what's keeping you from having a major mental issue. 
I mean, that's a good thing, though. Yeah, but he's 15. Yeah. Well, he was very wise like beyond his years. You shouldn't have to think about that kind of stuff when you're 15. No, you should not have to think about that kind of stuff. But he did. He's very wise. Yeah. Very wise. And, you know, the rest of the cast, with Corey Feldman and Will Wheaton. And then I forget the other guy. I'll just tell you the cast list. Okay. That's pretty good for me. It had... Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell. Jerry Kiefer O'Connell Sutherland. was the other one I was thinking of. Not not Kiefer Sutherland, one of the greatest actors of our time. I guess I didn't think about. Well, because was Kiefer's he one of the kids? Amazing. But was he one of the kids? Well, no, he was already doing Lost Boys. Yeah, so like, that's what I'm saying. Of the, I'm, I, there's a point I'm trying okay. to make with the kids. Sorry. <laughs> I have such a crush on Kiefer Sutherland. Well, I understand that. I actually, he came into Joe's one day. What? Mm-hmm. I was there. It was mm. great. Later that year, River completed Peter Weir's The Mosquito Coast, playing the son of Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren's characters. He was obviously going to be a movie star, observed Weir. It's something apart from acting ability. Laurence Olivier never had what River had. Like, that's a huge comment. That's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. During the five-month shoot in Belize, River Phoenix began a romance with his co-star, Martha Plimpton, a relationship which continued in some form for many years. River was surprised by the poor reception for the film, feeling more secure about his work in it than he had in Stand By Me. Interesting. And there's actually quite a few like of the articles that I read that cites it as probably one of his best works. So, Well, sometimes, though, you can have... Someone who has a brilliant moment in a film, who has a, a a great part, who delivers their dialogue so convincingly, and the movie is just crap. Well, so, I mean... I don't I, believe that that is true of this film. 1988 was a busy year for Phoenix. He was cast as the lead in the teen comedy drama A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon, but was disappointed with his performance. He says, it didn't turn out the way I thought it would, and I put the blame on myself. I wanted to do a comedy, and it was definitely a stretch, but I'm not sure I was even the right person for the role. So we're in 1988. That year, he also starred in a film called Little Nikita alongside Sidney Poitier. I have worked with Sir Sidney Poitier, and he is a jewel. He is a legend. During this time, the Phoenix family continued to move on a regular basis, moving over 40 times by the time Phoenix was 18. Is it because of the financial problems or what's what's having them move? Honestly, and I hate to speculate, but based on some of the articles that I was reading, I think that they were kind of still off and on involved with the cult. Ah, okay. Enough said. Yeah, but I don't know. I have no idea. Or were they running from the cult? I honestly, I have no idea. I can't speculate to that. All I do know is that River ended up purchasing his family a ranch in the My Canopy, Florida area near Gainesville. I'm just going to say, can I just say near just Gainesville? Say near Gainesville. Because I feel bad if I'm pronouncing it wrong and you're from there. So he purchased the family a ranch near Gainesville in 1987. Uh, in addition to a spread in Costa Rica, which I'll touch more on that when I get to his activism. River's sixth feature film was Sidney Lumet's running on empty in which he was nominated for an academy award for best supporting actor as well as a golden globe and received the best supporting actor honor from the national board of review so more to rivers character and 
you'll notice I'm jumping back and forth between calling him River and calling him Phoenix. I because there's so many of the Phoenix family, I'm kind of jumping back and forth. And sorry, uh, but anyways, speaking more to River's character, it was really cute story that I saw or a little blip that I saw where at the Oscar Awards, because he's nominated for Best Supporting Actor, at the awards, Phoenix jumped to his feet during the ceremony when Kevin Klein beat him for the Oscar. Aww. I had to stop River from running to hug Kevin, recalled his mother, Arlen. It never crossed his mind that he hadn't won. <laughs> oh, no. Because he was just so excited for Kevin Klein, he wanted to go and congratulate him and give him a big hug. Not, you know, not realizing like, oh, hey, wait, I didn't win. Like, he didn't care. That is so He was sweet. just so excited for Kevin Klein. Oh. Like, that's adorable. That year, he also portrayed a young Indiana Jones in the box office hit Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So, fun fact, he actually got cast in the role because he had worked with Harrison Ford in the Mosquito movie. What was it called? Shit. Mosquito Coast. Mosquito Coast, yeah. And he became really close with Ford, who personally recommended him for the Indiana Jones film because River looked the most like Ford at that age. That was all in 1988. Then in 1989, Phoenix met actor Keanu Reeves, who, another fun fact, supposedly was his best friend. So he meets Keanu Reeves while Reeves was filming Parenthood with Joaquin. However, Phoenix had reportedly auditioned for Bill in Keanu's then-current film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. One of my favorite films of all time, starring yeah. the late, a great George Carlin. And they just announced that the third one's coming There's out. There's going to be a new one. There's going to be a new one. And they better bring back the Princess Diane Franklin, because... Well, I don't know if oh, I remember she, that part. She's an amazing actress, and I love her, and she's a lovely person, so... Um, yeah. So then the two starred together, he and Keanu Reeves. They starred together for the first time, along with Kevin Klein, Tracy Ullman, and Joan Plowright in the 1990s. I love you to death. In 1991, Phoenix filmed an acclaimed independent picture called Dogfight, co-starring Lily Taylor. Taylor remarked that Phoenix suffered because he could not distance himself from his character. To quote, he also hadn't gotten into any drugs. He was just drinking then, too. That was actually a hard part for him because it was so radically different from who he was. He was such a hippie, and here he was playing this Marine. It actually caused him a lot of discomfort. I don't think he enjoyed that actually getting into that psyche so tough role for him it sounds like yeah and it sounds like this is the point where he's starting to be drinking also in 1991 river again starred alongside keanu reeves in gus van sant's avant-garde film my own private idaho Ugh. oh did you Ugh. see you didn't like that one i find gus van sant insufferable oh okay well, being such a huge film buff, I, I'm surprised that you kind of like, quote, assigned, like if if you want to call it that, River to me, because you're such a huge film buff. That's why. Because remember, I liked something two weeks Fair. ago and it ended and it up turned up into a, a six hour episode. No, eight hours. Oh, yeah. Two parts at four, like three and four hours. Yeah. A piece. Yeah. Yeah. So. If Fair I, enough. If I really We're not like... going to let LD do anything she actually likes anymore. <laughs> Unless y'all enjoy listening to eight episodes on the same thing. In his review for Newsweek, David Anson praised Phoenix's performance in My Own Private Idaho 
by saying, and I quote, the campfire scene in which Mike awkwardly declares his unrequited love for Scott is a marvel of delicacy. In this and every scene, Phoenix immerses himself so deeply inside his character, you almost forget you've seen him before. It's a stunningly sensitive performance, poignant and comic at once. For his performance, Phoenix won Best Actor honors at the Venice Film Festival, the National Society of Film Critics, and the Independent Spirit Awards. The film and its success solidified Phoenix's image as an actor with edgy leading man potential. Absolutely. Yeah. In that period, Phoenix was beginning to make use of drugs. So around 1990, 1991 is when his drug use is starting. Uh, He's starting to use things like marijuana, cocaine, and heroin with some friends. How do you start with heroin? What? He maybe didn't start with heroin. He probably started with like pot and then moved up to cocaine and then tried heroin. Like, you know... (sighs) I'm not saying like it all happened in a weekend. And then, of course, you're going to love this. In the Gus Van Sant book. Uh. <laughs> in the book, Gus Van Sant wrote about Phoenix Pink. The director said clearly that Phoenix was not a regular drug user, but only occasionally. And that the actor had a more serious problem with alcohol. Phoenix had always tried to hide his addictions because he feared that they might ruin his career as they did his relationship with Martha Plimpton. We took a a tiny, teeny, tiny little like water break. And in that time, a helicopter has moved in to survey the area. Uh, It's not really going anywhere. So if you are hearing this, apologies. So in 1992, Phoenix teamed up with Robert Redford and Sir Sidney Poitier for the conspiracy espionage thriller Seekers. A month later, he began production on Sam Shepard's art house ghost western Silent Tongue, released in 1994, even though it was filmed in 92. Like, hello, Hollywood. Woo. In 1993, he made a cameo appearance in Gus Van Sant's Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, co-starring his sister, Rain. Mm. He's... St- <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I know you don't like him, but it's he's part of the guy's story. He then starred in Peter Bogdanovich's country music-themed film, The Thing Called Love, the last completed picture before his death, and began a relationship with co-star Samantha Mathis on the set. Who is gorgeous in that movie. I actually, I love that film. I love that movie. So actually, there's an article that I saw while doing research for this, um, where Samantha Mathis spoke about Phoenix, and she said that... Um, she had actually met him at a club. He bummed a cigarette off of her at a at another club in L.A. about three years before they started filming on the movie. And she had said that like she instantly felt a connection and that she would be with him later. And three years later, they were cast in the same film together. And then they did start dating. At the time of his death, River was acting in a film called Dark Blood, which was released in 2012. So moving on, like, we already know that River Phoenix was an actor. So that's kind of, like, the history of all of that. But I know you're sitting there like, okay, TJ, like, we get it. He's an actor, but why is he on a music podcast? Well, he was also a musician. Not really something he was known for and not a lot released. But um, so now I'll kind of do a quick rundown on that. Because although Phoenix's movie career was generating most of the income for his family, it has been stated by close friends and relatives that his true passion was music. 
Phoenix was a singer-songwriter and an accomplished guitarist. He began teaching himself guitar at the age of five and had stated in an interview for E! in 1988 that his family's move to Los Angeles when he was nine was made so that he and his sister, Rain, could become recording artists. To quote him, I fell into commercials for financial reasons and acting became an attractive concept. As I said earlier, Phoenix and his siblings would play on the streets trying to forge a career in music by playing covers prior to being discovered by his acting agent. What I didn't mention was that they would often be moved along by police because gathering crowds would obstruct the pavement. Crazy. Which is why I think the first story that we talked about is the true story. From his early film success, Phoenix saved $650 to obtain his prized possession, a guitar with which he wrote what he described as progressive ethereal folk rock. While working on A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon in 1986, Phoenix had written and recorded a song, Heart to Get, specifically for the end credits of the movie. 20th Century Fox cut it from the completed film, but director William Richard put it back in place for the director's cut some years later. And apparently the released film deviates considerably from the original director's cut, and that is now available under the title, Aren't You Even Gonna Kiss Me Goodbye?, it was during filming that Phoenix met Chris Blackwell of Island Records, which later secured Phoenix a two-year development deal with the label. River disliked the idea of being a solo artist and relished collaboration. Therefore, he focused on putting together a band and formed Alica's Attic in 1987. The lineup included his sister, Rain. So he's getting to still perform with his sister, which was his whole plan to begin with. River was committed to gaining credibility by his own merit, and maintained that the band would not use his name when securing performances that were not benefits for charitable organizations. So he had no problem, like, using his name if it would help them to, like, play for benefits and charity type of things, but he didn't want that to push the band forward. See, and that's... Separately from their actual talent and merit. That is is awesome. awesome. Yeah, so awesome. That is so cool. So cool. Because... There are a lot of people that do the opposite of like, I'm going to use my name cachet to help push this thing forward. So really, really cool. But he had no problem whatsoever using his celebrity for charitable purposes. His first release was called Across the Way, which was co-written with the bandmate Josh McKay in 1989 on a benefit album for PETA titled Tame Yourself. In 1991, Phoenix wrote and recorded a spoken word piece called Curry Curry, which is on the Spotify playlist, for Milton Nascimento's album TXAI. Maybe it was meant to be like Taxi, but I don't know. Whatever. I'm sorry, but as an actual dyslexic, when I read that, that messed me up. Also in 1991, the Alica's Attic track Too Many Colors was used in the film My Own Private Idaho, which... River had starred in. Phoenix was also an investor in the original House of Blues, founded by his good friend and Sneakers co-star Dan Aykroyd in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which opened its doors to the public after serving a group of homeless people on Thanksgiving Day in 1992. I freaking love that story. While working on the film The Thing Called Love in 1993, Phoenix wrote and recorded the song Lone Star State of Mind, which he performs in the movie. However, the song was not included on the film's soundtrack album. So yet again, not released. After work on The Thing Called Love, Alica's Attic essentially disbanded, 
but Phoenix continued writing and performing. Island Records had also lost interest. Remember, they had that development deal. Um, so River in invested his own money to realize his dream of putting out an album. He worked 18-hour days writing songs, often working himself to the point of exhaustion. When River died, the album entitled Never Odd or Even, which is a palindrome if you write it out. Really? Yeah. If you Here, look at it. Towards the bottom-ish. Never, My mind is blown. Yeah, never Odd or Even is a palindrome. Um, there has been an album released with that name by another band, but this one, unfortunately, was not released. The first and only fully produced album he ever recorded was practically complete. According to the recording engineer and bass player Sasa Raphael, when Riv left on this is a quote, when Riv left on his last fateful trip westward, we had already recorded the whole thing minus some vocal work we had planned and some cool samples and loops we had intended to record, and all that was left was to mix it. However, no album would ever be released, and immediately following his death, the masters were seized and locked away. Raphael did try to orchestrate a free download of the album in 2000 for what would have been River's 30th birthday, but was sued by the estate for copyright reasons. So it could potentially be that this person was using him in a way that the estate didn't want him to. I don't know. I have no idea. Mm. No clue. Following his death, the Alaka's Attic track Note to a Friend was released on the 1996 benefit album In Defense of Animals, Volume 2 and featured Flea of Red Hot Chili Peppers on bass. Prior to his death, Phoenix had collaborated with friend, and I'm sorry, I might butcher this name because I just can't say it, uh, John Frusciante, after his first departure from the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1992. The songs Height Down and Well I've Been were released on Frusciante's second solo album, Smile from the Streets You Hold, in 1997, before he returned to the Chili Peppers in 1998. In an article from Pacific San Diego in January, REM frontman Michael Stipe, who was friends with River, uh, bought the rights to all the Alaka's Attics materials from Island Records in 1997 following Phoenix's death. In a double A-side single, two songs from Alaka's Attic were released on Valentine's Day of this year. Side A is his sister Rain's Time is a Killer, featuring Michael Stipe. And, a, and side double A are the band's songs Where I'd Gone and Scales and Fishnails. So if you're looking digitally, it's a three-track album that you can stream and download. It's available now as of Valentine's Day. So that's the ones I thought that you'd put on the playlist. But they may not be available on Spotify. I'm not sure. That's pretty much the extent of River Phoenix's music career. As I noted, he was also an activist. So Phoenix had always hated fame, but I think that he used he used his fame in a way either through film or musically to help other people out. Right. And he had very close ties with his family even though he might have had issues with his dad. But it seemed like doing the movies was a way for him to be able to do the music stuff and to actually have well, and it's a voice actually, on the stage. Yeah, and it's actually, that's a great point that leads me into the next bit of his activism. Phoenix had always hated fame, but considered its one potential benefit was that he could use it for good and change the world. 
He was a dedicated animal rights, environmental, and political activist. So that's why I was saying earlier he wouldn't let his name help drive the band forward unless it was in a charitable, used in a charitable way. So he was totally fine using his his celebrity, his name, in if it would help in some way. And he did work a lot with PETA. Yes, I'm Correct, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually gonna. I have like a whole little thing about his okay. activism. <laughs> well, then just the teacher then they cut that part out. That present then they just said, yeah. So he was a big activist, and he tried to use that celebrity for the good of mankind. In 1990, so he's only, he's 20, joke, not horrible, not too so young. But in 1990, Phoenix wrote an environmental awareness essay about Earth Day, targeted at his young fan base, which was printed in Seventeen magazine. And as a lifelong vegan, he was a prominent spokesperson for PETA and won their humanitarian award in 1992 for his fundraising efforts. His first girlfriend, Martha Plimpton, recalled once... When we were 15, River and I went out for a fancy dinner in Manhattan, and I ordered soft-shell crabs. He left the restaurant and walked around on Park Avenue crying. I went out, and he said, I love you so much. Why? He had such a pain that I was eating an animal that he hadn't impressed on me what was right. Martha Plimpton, I think, is now vegetarian or vegan and active in that as well. Um, you know, no, again, these are quotes and, you know, I don't think that he was necessarily pushy about it, but he was young and sensitive and just upset about it in general. Yeah. Phoenix financially aided a great many environmental and humanitarian organizations uh, and bought 800 acres of endangered rainforest in Costa Rica, which I mentioned earlier that that plot that he bought in Costa Rica was of endangered rainforest because he cared about the planet. As well as giving speeches at rallies for various groups, Phoenix and his band often played environmental benefits for well-known charities as well as local ones in the Gainesville, Florida area. He also campaigned for Bill Clinton in the 1992 U.S. presidential election. LD likes to do her quotes at the end of episodes, which makes everybody cry. I like to do fun facts. So if I don't find another place for them where it makes sense within the episode, I like to do them before I get into the death part because it's just a little lightness before the dark. So here's some fun facts about River Phoenix. He disliked flying and traveled everywhere by car or train, which given the number of, of musicians who have died in plane crashes... Good job. Another fun fact, that despite his reputation for healthy living, with the vegan and everything, he was a chain smoker. As I mentioned, he had bummed a cigarette off Samantha Mathis, and that's how they originally met. Uh, he was also fluent in Spanish, uh, of all things. He could watch Chipwrecked with me. Yeah. <laughs> See? And he and Joaquin are the first brothers to have been nominated for Academy Awards in acting. Really? Yep. Interesting, because I would assume that there would have been more. I don't know if it was the same year. I don't know the qualification of it, but nope. Hmm. First Brothers to be okay. nominated. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, his best friend was Keanu Reeves. So we know that already. Okay, here's a fun one. River had a lazy left eye. 
which caused him to flutter and blink to center the iris. So you can apparently see it in his performances. Like he'll kind of blink. Like Harry Potter does? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Nope. Daniel Radcliffe has some kind of disorder with his eye where he can't blink blink at the same time. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, man. Whatever. He's still a good actor. River or Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. But neither of them have ever mastered the art of blinking. Nope. All right. And here is one especially for LD. You should tell them why it's for me. Because she has an obsession with this movie and has seen it, I don't know, probably a million times. I've actually seen it. Do you actually know how many times you've seen this movie? I have a goal. So I've been keeping a running tally. So I have seen it 437 times. Oh, my God. How many times are you trying to see it? As I'm trying to see it once for every person who died. On the Titanic? Yep. Ooh, girl. Yep. You've got a lot of watching to do. I do it like three times a year, four times a year. Oh, my God. Okay, so that fun fact is that James Cameron has admitted that he favored River Phoenix for the role of Jack in Titanic before his passing. Yet another role. But I could see that. I could absolutely see that because I could... um, I'll say I could have seen it. Physically, yes. I don't know if River would have been able to play the kind of lighter side of Jack. I could absolutely see him playing the intense, more edgy side of Jack. But I don't know if he could have had that lightness and that That optimistic outlook that was needed for Jack. But River was an amazing actor, so he could have pulled it off. All right. So now that we have had our fun, it's time to go into his passing. On the evening of October 30th, 1993, Phoenix was to perform with his close friend Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers on stage at the Viper Room. Viper Room, in case you are not aware, is a Hollywood nightclub on the infamous Sunset Strip that was partly owned at the time by actor Johnny Depp. And it's really small. It's really small, it's yeah. Very it's small. very small. To be as iconic as it is, it's, it's actually a very yeah, it's claustrophobic a pretty, place. It's pretty tiny. Phoenix had returned to Los Angeles early that week from Utah to complete the three weeks of interior shots left on his last project, Dark Blood, which is why it took from 1993 until 2012 to come out. The night they went out to the Viper Room was the first, only the first night of filming on the reshoots. Oh, okay. According to the 2013 book Running with Monsters by Phoenix's friend Bob Forrest, According to the 2013 book, Running with Monsters by Phoenix's friend Bob Forrest, Phoenix had spent the previous days on a massive drug binge with Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist John Frusciante. To quote, River stayed with John for the next few days and probably didn't get a minute of sleep. The drug routine stayed pretty consistent for all of us. First, smoke crack or shoot coke directly into a vein for that 90-second electric brain bell jangle. Then shoot heroin to get a grip and come down enough to be able to carry on a conversation for a few minutes before you start the cycle again, Forrest wrote. Jesus. Right? That's nuts. Oh my God. That's crazy. So at this point, the earlier reports from like 1990, 1991, where he's like dabbling recreationally, this is like a big binge. This is not like... And supposedly he had been in Utah to help like be on the sober side of that because he had kind of walked away from it briefly but apparently when he came back to LA that shifted again his sister Rain and brother Joaquin had joined him he at the Hotel Nico which is now the SLS hotel on the strip 
Okay. Um, on La Cienega Boulevard. Sorry, not the strip. It's all right there in Hollywood. And then Phoenix's girlfriend, Samantha Mathis, had also come to meet him. All were present at the scene of Phoenix's death. Samantha Mathis uh, stated in 2018. Now, last year was the 25th anniversary of his death. So it was a big deal that she finally spoke out about it, having been there. So she stated in 2018 that the two had originally only intended to drop off River's siblings at the Viper Room on the way to her house, but that River decided to stay for a while after he was asked to perform with the band. She insisted that during their time dating, she had known him to be sober, but, quote, in the days before he died, though, I knew something was going on. I didn't see anyone doing drugs that night, but he was high in a way that made me feel uncomfortable. She added that, quote, the heroin that killed him didn't happen until he was in the Viper room. I have my suspicions about what was going on, but I didn't see anything. I'm kind of piecing together a couple articles here, so bear with me on the timeline to try to get the timeline right, so bear with me here. So it was about 1 a.m. Phoenix was in the bathroom of the club doing some drugs with several of his, of his friends when one of them would offer him a hit of heroin. And that's why she probably didn't see anything because it's right. happening in the guy's bathroom. Right. Almost immediately after snorting the heroin, because they didn't, they didn't inject, they snorted it. Almost immediately after snorting the heroin, Phoenix would begin trembling and shaking violently. He then turned to one of his friends and vomited. I want to just quickly put a disclaimer in that this segment is going to get a little graphic. So if that's not for you, please feel free to move ahead about five minutes, ten minutes maybe. I apologize if it makes you squeamish, but in order to relay the story, it needs to be said. Yeah, so if you have any young ones in the car, you might want to wait until they're at school to finish this episode. Right. We try to stay family friendly, but this is not that story. Another of his friends decided it would be a good idea to give him a Valium to calm him down. After taking the Valium, Phoenix would stagger back into the bar area and approach actress Samantha Mathis, who was sitting with his sister, Rain. Complaining that he could not breathe, Phoenix passed out. When he was awakened, he begged his friends to take him outside the club. Somewhere in this time frame, Mathis went to the bathroom, and on her way back to the table saw Phoenix in what looked like a scuffle with another person, which could be when they were trying to take him out of the club or could be when he passed out. I'm not sure. The bouncers hustled both of them out of the club, and Mathis shouted at the other man, What have you done? What are you on? Only to be told, Leave him alone. You're spoiling his high. Jesus. Rough. By that point, Phoenix had fallen to the ground and began to convulse for over five minutes. Uh, IMDb said eight. Why is nobody helping him? They don't know how. Joaquin is there at that point because they were ushered by the bouncer out the side door, which locked behind them. So Mathis had to go, had to run around to the front of the building and go in to get his brother and sister that were there, Joaquin and Rain, and then they came back out to help him. And at this point, yeah, because it's the Viper Room actually sits on the corner, right? They're on, it's two, on the corner yeah. of yeah of Sunset and Larrabee. It's on the corner. Yeah. When his brother Joaquin called nine one one, he was unable to determine whether Phoenix was breathing. Sorry, River was breathing. His sister Rain prece- proceeded to give him mouth to mouth resuscitation. At the time, Johnny Depp and his band P featuring Flea Al Jorgensen of Ministry and Phoenix's friend Gibby Hayes 
of the Butthole Surfers were on stage. According to Haynes, the band was performing their song Michael Stipe while Phoenix was outside the venue having seizures on the sidewalk. When the news filtered through the club, Flea left the stage and rushed outside. By that time, paramedics had arrived on the scene and found Phoenix turning blue in full cardiac arrest and in a flatline state. They administered medication in an attempt to restart his heart. He was rushed to the Cedar sinai Medical Center, accompanied by Flea, via an ambulance. Further attempts to resuscitate Phoenix were unsuccessful. He was pronounced dead at 1.51 a.m., Pacific Standard Time on the morning of October 31st, 1993, at the age of 23. So all of that happened within an hour. And honestly, the timeline from when he was in the bathroom doing the drugs to the time where he hit the pavement outside was only like 15 minutes. I know, but it seems like if he had gotten medical attention sooner, he 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 might have He got it as fast as he could. There was an article that cited... That, as Mathis and other witnesses told it, that when he left the club, he immediately stumbled. He fell face first on the sidewalk and hit his head, and that's likely when he actually died. This is from IMDb. There's an urban legend that his last words were, No paparazzi, I want anonymity. But according to witnesses, he died never having uttered a word after leaving the club and falling to the ground. The following day, the club became a makeshift shrine with fans and mourners leaving flowers, pictures, and candles on the sidewalk and graffiti messages on the walls of the venue. A sign was placed in the window that read, With much respect and love to River and his family, the Viper Room is temporarily closed. Our heartfelt condolences to all his family, friends, and loved ones. He will be missed. That's wonderful. It was wonderful. Absolutely. The club remained closed for a week. Depp continued to close the club every year on October 31st until selling his share in 2004. And just to say, like, we here in Hollywood take the time before Halloween really seriously. Oh, yeah. And to close a major venue. My first Halloween here was insane. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but to close a a major venue with name recognition on the cusp, and sometimes, like, you have to go out and party the night before Halloween because it falls on, like, a Sunday a Monday. or Monday. <laughs> and so to, to take that leap and close it for that night in remembrance is honestly taking a big profitable hit because that, mm-hmm. that is such a an iconic place, and it is just a place where, like, famous musicians go and mingle. And yep. to shut that down on – a what I would assume certain years to be incredibly busy. It's a huge holiday that's in Hollywood. Hu- yeah, that's a huge thing. And so, like, my I, I definitely tip my hat to Johnny Depp for doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Supposedly, to this day, on Halloween every year, fans will still go and bring tribute and gifts and cards and everything. Before his death, River's image had been squeaky clean owing in part to his public dedication to his various social, political, humanitarian, and dietary interests that were not always popular in the 1980s. As a result, his death elicited a vast amount of coverage from the media. Phoenix was described by one writer as the vegan James Dean, and comparisons were made continuously. Oh my gosh, still in my research. Still. Comparisons were made regarding the youth and sudden deaths of both actors. On November 15th, 1993, an autopsy found that, quote, toxicology studies showed high concentrations of morphine and cocaine in the blood, as well as other substances in smaller concentrations. The cause of death was 
listed as acute multiple drug intoxication, including cocaine and morphine. Which I don't know where he got the morphine because everything every account says heroin and is that what's in volume? Oh, maybe I'm not sure. I don't actually, no. Maybe the volume, but like there's been different accounts saying that he like asked for a highball, which is a mix of heroin and cocaine. There's been like the most trusted article that I referenced because the highball thing was from an interview with one of his friends that I just don't. I feel like that was more media pandering than anything. I don't know how much I trust that, but all accounts point to at least the heroin and the Valium. Um, There may, there was most, there was probably cocaine. If you go by the previous accounts from the book, running with monsters, running with monsters. Yeah. By uh, Bob Forrest's accounts or the cocaine could have been from the previous days but the head you injury know. that like the head injury didn't even play into it. Um it doesn't say. It just I think everybody was focusing on the toxicology reports because that was technically his cause of death. Okay. But it wasn't like he died from the head injury. Right. I think that like the head injury knocked him unconscious, but I think but like everybody is saying that he was probably mostly dead already by the time he left that club because he was already seizing, which is usually an indicator of problems. And this is where you're going to get triggered real fast. Oh, I am? Like, you already know I'm going to get triggered? Well, because, so, between the ja- the earlier thing with the James Dean paparazzi crap, and then now here we go again. Okay. You're definitely going to get triggered here because I got raging mad. Okay. I'm prepared. Be prepared so we don't get off on a 40-minute tangent again. <laughs> Joaquin's call to 911 was recorded and broadcast by several radio and TV shows. I mean, that's that's now standard. It's like standard. That's, that's standard to it's record. Gross. Well, if in I listened to it, it was upsetting to say the least. Is, is it? Well, because his brother's dying in front of him, and he's just trying to get a paramedic there. Yeah. So yeah, he starts crying in the middle of it. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's so it's so heartbreaking. Following his death, media actively violated the family's privacy, including breaking into the Miami funeral home and taking a picture of Phoenix's body in his casket. No. Yes. No. I told you. I told you you were going to get real bad triggered. Hello, Rock and Roll Heaven audience. If we have said it once, we've said it a hundred times. So not appropriate. And we hate this type of action from the paparazzi. I, I I think they are vile human beings. I I I have I warned you <laughs> it was oh, coming. Oh god. You're right. I am triggered. I am absolutely in full-fledged trigger yep. mode. It they yep. are the scum of the earth. You do not do that. You respect their privacy when they're alive and after they've it's, passed. You're horrible. You're terrible. So, to make it worse because that wasn't bad enough, obviously. To make it worse, the picture was sold to the National Enquirer for of five, course it was for five thousand dollars. Of course it was. That's disgusting. Like the paparazzi culture wasn't as bad in the early nineties as it is today. Samantha Mathis, when she was talking about that night at the club and that moment at the club, was saying like, thankfully, like that that wasn't as big of a thing then as it was as it is now. That there wasn't anybody there, like, 
taking pictures as it was happening. Joaquin was so upset that he walked away from Hollywood for about a year and a half. Understandably. Because, well, because every time you turn on the news, there's his 911 call and here's pictures of his at his brother's funeral going around now because it's available easily. Mm. Like all like you Google search it, it'll show up. Like it's a, it's available. After that, I would just like to formally say intercourse the paparazzi. Intercourse the paparazzi directly to Satan's homestead. Mm-hmm. Sorry for that late moment. Sorry. We get really angry about it, so we lightened it up for a moment. Back to uh, the sad. On November 24th, 1993, River's mother, Arlen Phoenix, published an open letter in the Los Angeles Times on her son's life and death. It read in part, His friends, co-workers, and the rest of our family know that River was not a regular drug user. He lived at home in Florida with us and was almost never a part of the club scene in Los Angeles. He had just arrived in L.A. from the pristine beauty and quietness of Utah, where he was filming for six weeks. We feel that the excitement and energy of the Halloween nightclub and party scene were way beyond his usual experience and control. How many other beautiful young souls who remain anonymous to us have died by using drugs recreationally? It is my prayer that rivers leaving in this way will focus the attention of the world on how painfully the spirits of his generation are being worn down. River made such a big impression during his life on earth. He found his voice and found his place. And even River, who had the whole world at his fingertips to listen, felt deep frustration that no one heard. What is it going to take? Chernobyl wasn't enough. Exxon Valdez wasn't enough. A bloody war over oil wasn't enough. If River's passing opens our global heart, then I say thanks, dear beloved son, for yet another gift to us all. That is so, that was beautifully written. It was beautifully written. And, you know, the little end bit with Chernobyl and Exxon and everything goes back to, you know, the hippie-ish, you know, vibe. That's... But also, I mean, that's what they fought for as a, fa- as a family and they wanted good things in the world. And it's just so beautiful. <laughs> like, I got a, started getting a little choked up at the end. You did. Phoenix was cremated and his ashes were scattered at his family ranch in Florida. Following his death, Alica's attic disbanded. River had several pending projects at the time of his death. The interviewer in Interview with a Vampire was one. And that actually went to Christian Slater, so I could see that. I was just going to say that. Well, let me have something. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. It did go to Christian Slater. Um, Production was meant to commence two weeks after his death. So he was cast and it was ready to go. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was supposed to start that while he was finishing the reshoots. As you mentioned, the role went to Christian Slater. But what's really cool is that Christian Slater donated his entire $250,000 salary to two of River's favorite charitable organizations, Earth Save and Earth Trust. That's amazing. Which is awesome. Good on you, Slater. I love hearing, like when Shannon Hoon passed away and all the money from Nico went to her. And I think they did the same thing with um, Matilda, Heath Ledger's daughter. Yeah. They gave all the the people that ended up helping finish uh, Dr. Parnarium's Imaginarium. I think that was what it was called. I think it's, I think so. They donated their salary to her, which was just, I love, 
like I love it when people do things that are so unselfish like that yeah. and, and and put other people before them. I think it's it, it's, it's just really a beautiful, beautiful gesture. I mean, so I have a whole list of dedications and things that it just really goes to show like how much people cared about him in this industry. Like again, speaks volumes to his character as a human being. So I'll get to that. Interview with a vampire also has a dedication uh, to river after the end credits as are done. Um, Cause he was meant to be part of that project. So I don't think I've ever made it past the credits. So it was rumored that following interview with a vampire he would have played susan sarandon's son in the 1994 film safe passage a role that went to sean astin river had also signed on to the leading role in broken dreams co-starting winona Ryder. following his death the film was put on hold until 2012 when it was announced that caleb landry jones had been cast phoenix had also agreed to the role of cleve jones in milk a film by gus van zandt <laughs> that was put on hold after his death until 2008 with Emil Hirsch in the role. Emil Hirsch is so underrated. Great actor. It has also been rumored that he had interest in roles in both 1999 films, The Basketball Diaries and Total Eclipse. Both roles eventually... Went to go- Leonardo DiCaprio. Are you getting jealous that you're not leading this episode? <laughs> I am feeling a little bit of buyer's remorse now, yes. <laughs> so along with then the role of Jack in Titanic, that would be three roles courtesy of River Phoenix that helped Leo in his career. You know, I make that joke, but actually Leonardo DiCaprio, along with Jared Leto, James Franco, and many others, actually cite River Phoenix as a major influencer in their careers and as somebody that kind of paved the way for actors like them. Each year on October 31st, fans pay tribute to the actor, frequently quoting him, one of his most famous quotes, acting is like a Halloween mask that you put on on social media. So like still today, a lot of people will quote that on Halloween in honor of him. Phoenix has also been mentioned or paid tribute to in numerous songs and other media. Like, the list is insane, so I'm going to try to keep it really brief. Red Hot Chili Peppers alone, you know, prior to his death, the song Give It Away in 1991, there's the lyric, There's a river born to be a giver. Keep you warm, won't let you shiver. His heart is never going to wither. Like, that was before he even died that his friends put him in that song. Which makes sense, because Flea was also a really close friend of his. Really, really close. Well, I mean, he was in the ambulance with him when he passed. He also appeared in the music video for Breaking the Girl. Following his death, they paid tribute to him in the song Transcending, which was originally titled River. And there's countless other songs that either mention him in lyrics name him specifically in the title like it's crazy rem dedicated their album monster that's an amazing album yeah right and it's rumored the song ebo the letter was written from an unsent letter lead singer michael stipe wrote to to river phoenix but never was able to send yeah i never knew that phoenix is also referenced in the song sacred life by the cult uh the line is river phoenix was so young don't you know your prince has gone Natalie Merchant also wrote and recorded a controversial song called River, which deplores his death while criticizing the people's, quote, vultures candor and the media's greedy attention to the event, which go Natalie. 
Yeah, and like I say, among countless others, songs by like Belinda Carlisle, Jay Z, Japanther, Wesley Willis, and many, 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 many more. Like that that section on Wikipedia, I think, was bigger than the segment about his his music career. <laughs> like, you know what though? But like the people might be like, why are they doing an episode on River Phoenix? And sometimes it's not even about the music they created. It's about the music that they inspired. Right. And I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. In hindsight, maybe I should have listed more of the music that he inspired because realistically, I mean, there was there was quite a bit like go cruise the Wikipedia page on that. Like it's there's a huge list in the other media. Gus Van Sant, Ugh. which I know you <laughs> You can't say do that every time I say his name. <laughs> yes, I can, and I have so far. Oh, Jesus. Van Sant dedicated oh, no. his 1994 film, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, to him, as well as his 1997 novel, Pink. The filmmaker, Cam Archer, produced a documentary called Drowning River Phoenix as part of his American Fame series as well. Hmm. I wonder where you can actually stream that, because I bet that'd be really interesting. I bet that would be cool. Like the I, whole series. I wasn't be... able to find it, but that was that would be cool. Okay. I'll text it. Maybe t- text me the name, and I'll like I'll do a deep dive. Okay. During performances on November thirteenth and fifteenth, nineteen ninety three, so following right following his death, February twelfth, nineteen ninety four, and then January seventh, nineteen ninety four, which was one of Nirvana's last U.S. shows. Kurt Cobain dedicated the song Jesus Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam to him and other celebrities who died young, which mm, is incredibly ironic. <laughs> but there have been just so many tributes and dedications ongoing to this day. Like It's really interesting like what what strikes a, a nerve and a chord in other artists that they find in in someone like River, who had... I think not only his influence, but just that, again, it speaks volumes to his character. Yeah. That people still see him as this symbol of light and hope in the world, despite his tragic death. He's now been dead longer than he was alive, and he still he still has an impact and a presence. I actually am really mad that I didn't write the quote down, because it was perfect that it's like people that they are remembering him and they're still talking about him not because they feel his absence but because they still feel his presence oh wow and that was beautifully written and i'm and i'm sorry i don't actually have who wrote it down who i don't i didn't use it for whatever reason so i don't have this the citation and i sincerely apologize for that so here's a here's an interesting tribute i just i i didn't realize it at the time but i'm kind of geeking out because i'm a little i love the fan final fantasy franchise gaming if you're a gamer all our gamer listeners out there (laughs) so a lesser known reference and tribute to river phoenix was the final fantasy eight the main protagonist, Squall Leonhart, or Leonhart, or Lionheart, or however you want to say it. But lead character designer Tetsuya Nomura stated that he modeled Squall on River's visage during development and even gave him the same birth date. Oh, isn't that cool? Also, I just kind of, I don't know if it lines up or not, but for me it kind of does. A Squall, like the definition of a Squall, the sudden violent gust of wind or a localized storm, especially one bringing rain, snow, or sleet. Which, first, I know it doesn't directly relate, but I do kind of feel like it has 
some sort of a no, I, an I, echo on river. I can tell what you're what you're saying exactly. I I get that. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's like an echo homage to river. You know, so I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't know that, and I when I was playing the game back in the day, but it's really cool to know that now. Phoenix has been ranked numerous times on a number of lists, recognizing his talent and career. He was listed as one of 12 promising new actors of 1986 in John Willis's Screen World 2004. Phoenix was voted at number 64 on a Greatest Movie Stars of All Time poll by Channel 4 Television in the UK. The poll was made up wholly of votes from prominent figures of the acting and directing communities, which that of itself is kind of cool. Like it's yeah. not just some rando list that somebody put together. Like this is it's actually your peers. peers. Yeah. That voted you on to it he was ranked number 86 in empire magazine's top 100 movie stars of all time list in 1997 his life and death has been the subject of an e true hollywood story an a and e biography and an episode of final 24 which contains a dramatic reconstruction of his final hours and death which i'm really mad that i didn't find that but also happy Actually, I... It's probably a good thing I didn't No, I've actually I watched... still be weeping. I've watched the final 24. Oh, have um, you? Yeah, I've seen the show, and it's it's heartbreaking. I saw the one, I think it was Courtney, Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain, the final oh. 24 of his life. But it's, it's, it's like the final 24 hours of right. counting down to the moment that they die. Like, yeah. Ugh. He was also referred to as this century's James Dean in episode 10... Mikasa Sukasa Loma of the first season of Being Erica. His death was listed at number 16 on the top 101 events in E! Television's 100 Most Shocking Moments in Entertainment, which I could believe that 100%. Found it. What'd you find? <laughs> the final 24 on River Phoenix. Oh, well, we can do a follow-up or something, but I can't. I couldn't have watched it last night, so it's a good thing I did There's also one called Too Young to Die. Oh, well, that one I that one I knew about. I should have watched that. I'm dumb. Yeah. I didn't even think about trying to find a documentary because I just was trying to make sure that I got it done. <laughs> like, honestly. the His death was listed as number 16 on the top 101 events in E-Television's 100 Most Shocking Moments in Entertainment, which... Karen Carpenter was also on that list. Which, again, I would believe that, too. Yeah. Like, Oh, absolutely. Because there's nobody, nothing. Nobody saw either of those. There was coming. no sign of it. No. Well, I mean, at least with Karen, you kind of knew, and it was kind of out that in it public. Could happen, but yeah. this was just like he's alive one day, doing great things, and he's a vegan, and he's a humanitarian, know, humanitarian, and an environmentalist, and, and a philanthropist, and, and then boom, he's dead. This beautiful soul, and then boom, drug overdose, dead. Like what? Yeah. Like no, you're joking. Like that? No. Yeah. No. No. And, yeah terrible in 2010 phoenix was voted by gq magazine as one of the 50 most stylish men of the past half century oh that's kind of cool that is kind of cool well past his time but yeah that's awesome good job river so that's all i have on river phoenix my sources for the episode were mainly wikipedia a little bit of imdb um then i had found an article by the guardian a short takes article on real reviews, an article by Pacific San Diego, and a segment uh, on Rio's attic. 
which is a website. So that's it. That's that's, that's it. the whole. That's that's it. I didn't have as many sources as I would have liked. As I mentioned this week, at work got a nope, little. No, this was bonkers. a massive episode. You did an amazing job on it. You're. It was so good. Thank I, you. I am. I'm honestly like. I couldn't stop. Like I, I was just, blown I away. I was blown away, and the reason why I gave it to you was because I grew up with him. Right. I grew up with him, in, not not in the literal sense, but I grew up. He was only nine years older than me, and so I was watching his movies, and I was watching him grow. and And Indiana Jones is an iconic film, and you know, <laughs> you know. So you, I've you, seen the original. I haven't seen that one. But you see, you see pieces of him in so much pop culture and even today people are still emulating him in a sense because while it's cliche maybe he is our modern day James Dean and we look at him as an immensely talented performer with so much more potential that was tragically taken away from us and I knew if I did the episode I would get far too attached and I would end up. It would end up being another two-part episode because. Fair enough. And I, I gave. No, that, I could. I could definitely see this. I really was enjoying kind of learning about all of the different things that he did outside of just his film career, and I did definitely see the dangerous, like slippery slope that I could have gotten on. Mm-hmm. digging deeper so it's probably good that you gave it to me because i didn't have time to dig any deeper to find more otherwise we probably would have had a two-part episode well that's our episode for this week thank you guys so much for checking us out we uh yeah. love you all yeah we... thanks for listening everybody yeah and we picked our winner as you know we've been having this ratings and reviews contest kind of right now of listen and review so we wanted to thank Jesse's girl two two nine, and yay Jesse's girl! Congratulate you on uh, your win. So you get a choice of either a sick life, which is by T. Boz, and that's kind of the TLC story, or you get only the lonely, the Roy Orbison story. So just email us; we'll post our email at the end, and it'll also be in the show notes. So congratulations for winning! Yay! yay. And. Uh, Our next contest, we're actually going to be giving away our show notes that we do for the episode. So basically, you'll pick out your favorite episode, and we will put those in a binder. And if you want, we'll autograph them. I mean, we're not, fame's not going to our head. (laughs) (laughs) So go to iTunes and leave a rating and review there. And at the end of the month or so, We'll pick out our favorites, and then you just let us know whichever episode you'd like for us to to give you. We still have slots open for the Patreon Choose Your Own episode happening. So if you go and you sign up for the Thank You Cleveland, nope, the groupie level. If you go into our Patreon and sign up for the groupie level, then you will get to basically send us your choices for a future episode, and me or TJ will cover that pick. So... That's what's happening on Patreon. So you can actually find our Patreon if you want to be one of those lucky few that's still left. We are at patreon.com backslash rockandrollheaven. You can find our Twitter at rockandrolllt. We're on Facebook at rockandrollheavenpod. Our Instagram, rockandrollheavenlt. Website, nope. Still not saying it. And then you can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And again, we aren't too we aren't popular. We're, we're not too 
popular to not tell our fans hi from time to time. Yeah. We love engaging. So guys, again, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Keep rocking in the free world. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 